1: All comments, views, and opinions are solely those of Dr. Lieberman, her guests, and callers. Now it's time to have a seat on Dr. Carol's Couch. Here's your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. I was
2: born in the and welcome to today's edition of Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Well, as it may say on the voiceamerica.com website, um, today's show was supposed to be... <laughs> Um, called, What Is It Like Growing Up in a Cult? And my guest is, was, um, to be Joan Miller. She is, uh, Joan Miller and Joaquin Phoenix were born into the same cult, the Children of God, and Joan wrote a book called uh, The Transformation of Joan Faith that exposes what goes on, uh, what, what went on while she was growing up in this cult. So I hope that Joan is safe and that we will be able to reach her within this hour. But if not, I, uh, you don't have to worry about your psychiatrist host. Dr. Carroll always has something to say. Um, all, you know, all that has to happen is that there's news going on, and my um, putting it on the couch becomes uh, becomes almost too tempting to resist. So... Uh, and, you know, I don't know about you, but um, when I look at the news, you know, I start off in the morning um, Googling, putting on Google News or looking up some other news website. And um, and then, of course, they list other things that aren't the headlines, you know, the other stories of interest. And it just gets, it has gotten um, to be more and more shocking Every day, I mean, it just seems that things that you wouldn't, couldn't have dreamed of, are happening. Things that if they happened in a movie, you would walk out because you would think it was just, uh, it was just not believable. (laughs) But unfortunately, um, with all the problems that there are in our world, our world is getting crazier and crazier. And I like to think of this show as an island of sanity, an oasis of sanity in this crazy world. So, um, so why don't we? So there's so there's no lack of things to talk about, unfortunately, um, because because it is the stress of all of these things and comprehending all of these crazier and crazier things. It's kind of like a vicious cycle. The more we see in the news that is just unbelievable, um, the more it affects us, and the more people do things that are then increasingly unbelievable, unbelievable in a bad way. Um, so let's talk about, <laughs> why don't we start with the woman who trashed the penis. Uh, and sh- I'm calling her a bad girl, scorned, duh. Um, actually, no, this is, not, this is not funny. Especially. Well, actually, it's amazing. That the, her husband, whose penis she sliced and diced, um, was reported uh, in surprisingly good form, good spirit. After this happened, um, perhaps he's still in shock. But um, this I'm talking about Katherine Q. Becker. She um, was married to a man who had filed for divorce against her. They had only been married for about a year. He had been married before um, and to a woman, and he had some children with this woman, and, and they got divorced. And a lot of times, when men get divorced, they are vulnerable. They are sitting ducks, as I say in my bad girls book. They are sitting ducks for bad girls, for women who know just how to manipulate them and exploit them. And sometimes, when they get married a little too quickly, because you know they're used to having a wife, they're used to having someone take care of them, they're used to having a sex partner, um, they're used to the comfort, the 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 com- comfort of of having uh, someone at home who who is there for them and so it's very tempting for a lot of men to kind of rush out and find another wife way too quickly without knowing the woman's long enough or well enough and they find themselves in a marriage with a bad girl and um fortunately not too many of these bad girls uh slice and dice their husband's penises but um uh but you never but then you know they can be they can be doing other things to them instead Um, you know, exploiting them in other ways or hurting them in other ways. So um, in my book, as I've um, talked about before, (laughs) and and can never talk enough about, by the way, it it not only won um, Best Self-Help Book at the Beach Book Festival and the New York Book Festival, but also at the Hollywood Book Festival. That's the latest award that it won. And um, so I, I... describe the dozen dangerous damsels, 12 types of bad girls, and one of them is the bad girl scorned. And this is a woman who, um, in fact, I'll quote from the book, a bad girl scorned wants her man to cancel his plans to break up with her and promise his undying love. Failing this, she wants to destroy his life by stalking him or extracting sweet revenge. And obviously, Catherine... Ext- destroyed his life and uh, she didn't stalk him um but she extracted sweet revenge um when the police came to the house after she well let me start back up a little bit um first she served him dinner and she had put some kind of chemical in the in his dinner that um made him fall asleep and he didn't feel well he tasted he tasted something funny Um, and he laid down, and he went to sleep, and when he woke up, that's when, and she tied him up while he was sleeping, and then he woke up, and then that's when she castrated him. Um, So, so obviously this was a woman who was angry that he had filed for divorce. She didn't want him to divorce her, and perhaps he did have an affair, or perhaps she imagined he had an affair, um, or perhaps she just figured, as many of these bad girl scorns do, that if I can't have him, no one else will. So um, so faced with this abandonment, this potential abandonment, this is what um, Catherine decided to do. And when the police, after she did it, she called the 911, and the police came, at least fortunately. Um, she didn't let him die, because, of course, he was bleeding profusely. Um, and so when the police came, she told them he deserved it. Now, you know, regardless of what he did or didn't do, um there's no way that he deserved it. He just wanted to get divorced from her and his mistake was in allowing her to continue to live with him after he had filed for divorce because he and he did it because she didn't have anywhere else to go, he said. So he was feeling sorry for her and this is what he got. <laughs> and um you know, obviously Obviously it's unfortunate and and um, she's in jail uh, or she was arrested in any case and and um, she'll be put on trial but um you know eh, one wonders what what is going to ultimately become of her. What's interesting is that even though it was a while after this happened, um, it was reported, and then even she hadn't she didn't seem even when she came to court. She didn't seem contrite. She still seemed as though she was thinking it was worth it. So obviously this is a woman who has severe psychological problems and he had he became the unfortunate sitting duck who allowed her to manipulate him into marrying him in the first place. So marrying her in the first place. So um, so it just uh you know it's just another unfortunate example of of what happens um, in these kinds of cases. And women who become bad girls scorned are typically borderline personality disorders, women with with that kind of personality disorder, and they have been, in most cases, um, abandoned themselves or treated really badly as as children, as little girls themselves. I mean, all of the bad girls um, I talk about um, what they all have in common, all of the dozen dangerous damsels, is that their father treated them badly. They felt um, not necessarily, on the one extreme it could be that they abused them, but it doesn't have to be that extreme. It could be just that the father was a workaholic and wasn't around much. Um, or, in, in most cases, it's that the parents got divorced and the father wasn't around as much. Um, and oftentimes he will have gotten another family, you know, married again and and um, had other children, and uh, and the little girl feels as though she's not being um, loved by him enough. If he had loved her enough, he wouldn't have left in the first place, and certainly he would be spending more time with her. So that's the most typical problem that is happening in t- in general. I'm not talking about just about bad girls scorned. I'm talking about bad girls in general. So when they grow up feeling as though they're not lovable because they don't feel as though their father loves them. Um, They then grow up and are attracted to bad boys and get hurt in relationships with bad boys who treat them badly. And that further confirms their idea of themselves as being unlovable. And um, they then at some point give up on finding a man who's going to love them. And instead, they decide to find a man who Um, is going to give them something that they want. So, like, for example, a gold digger um, wants gold, you know, wants a man to pamper her and give her things. Um, A married woman on the prowl wants a man who's willing to be in a relationship with her even though she's still married, and so on. Um, If... (laughs) If my guest doesn't come on the line before the end of the show, I'll tell you more about Bad Girls. Or, of course, you can find out more about Bad Girls on my website. And I'm going to mention now, and I'll I'll try to remember to mention it again, that any of you, all of you, I invite you to my Bad Girls website, which is badgirlsbook.com, um, because if you opt in, first there's a landing page, and then you go to the next page, and it's there's an opt-in box. like It looks like a letter. And um, if you opt in, I will send you a free um, copy of the test, the bad girls test for women and the sitting duck test for men so that you women can find out whether you're a good girl or a man-eater or something in between. And you men can find out what makes you a sitting duck, how vulnerable you are to bad girls, so that you don't end up like Catherine's husband with his penis in the trash. (laughs) Very um, sad, and I, I must admit, I haven't. I have to follow up on that to see whether it didn't see. That's that's the real part about this. Um, it was one thing with Lorena Bobbitt, who I have in my book as an example of a bad girl scorned. It was bad enough that she cut off her husband's penis and threw it in a field somewhere, um, but it was able to be reattached, amazingly. But um, this woman wanted to do one better and put it in the trash compactor or the garbage um, disposal and, and, and sliced and diced it and cut it up so that, you know, in the hopes that they wouldn't be able to reattach it. And, of course, nowadays there are prostheses and so on, but, you know, nothing is as good as your own. Ah, we are at the break. Well, the producer's is listening. <laughs> this is a good time to break. Um, because probably by now I've grossed you all out. Stay tuned. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm going to uh, put more news on the couch um, when we come back. And I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Music.
1: check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times, www.drcarol.com.
3: Are you ready to go green? You've asked, and we've heard you. Voice America presents the Green Talk Network. Explore the power and beauty in yourself and in others. Tune in to The Stacey Stern Show, enriching you. Every week, Stacey Stern will connect you with men and women who are living and working from a place of passion. Stacey's guests include successful authors, filmmakers, actors, experts, and leaders. You'll hear what inspires each of them, and you'll be turned on to great films, books, and new media. Tune in to The Stacey Stern Show, enriching you, Tuesdays at noon Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Variety Channel.
2: Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Uh, Putting the news on the couch, as unbelievable as it it is, and we're having a lot of um, gory news these days, or at least I'm picking those to analyze and put on my couch, there's the really sad story of the Butcher of Brooklyn. We go from trashing penises to the Butcher of Brooklyn. Okay, I must be angry that my guest hasn't shown up. (laughs) Anyhow, actually, no. These were these were topics I uh, I have um, um, written about before. This as as because you know, obviously, these are minds. Um, both the woman, the the woman scorned, the bad girl scorned, and um, Levi Aaron, the butcher of Brooklyn. Obviously, these are twisted minds that are very interesting. For me as a psychiatrist to dissect, oh God, dissect, here we go. I'm um, talking about dissecting. Um, Levi Aaron uh, kidnapped and killed Levi Kletzky um, in Brooklyn, and uh, both in, uh, in Orthodox, an Orthodox Jewish section of Brooklyn that is known to be uh, very safe, you know, very religious and very safe. And um, Levi was um, kept in the attic He at the time of this this kidnapping and killing, and he dismembered the eight-year-old boy. Um, at the time of this kidnapping and killing, he was living in the attic of his family's home. He was living in a home where uh, there was his father and his stepmother and an uncle, and you know it, it's so sad because well of course it's sad most saddest of all for the 8 year old boy and his and his parents um you know i'm i i have to say one thing because and i know it's very politically incorrect but those of you who have listened to me regularly know that i i don't shy away from things that are politically incorrect uh because somebody has to say them um it, <sighs> It's really terrible. I mean, it's, first of all, the parents of this 8-year-old boy um, will never have a day in their life where they don't feel guilty and chastise themselves and mourn and and, and are not devastated about their loss of their son and um, feel guilty because of how this happened. And how it happened is that this was the first day that their son, Lebe, I'm going to... Um Libby was kept asking uh his parents or his mother to be able to walk home from camp alone. His camp was 7 blocks away from the place that his mother uh set for where they would meet. And um the he begged them to, you know, he wanted to be independent. It's that's normal for eight-year-old little boys and maybe maybe some of the kids in camp it was a day camp, maybe some of the other kids uh, had parents who were letting them walk home alone and so on. But um so so finally the parents the mother gave in and um she that this was the first day that he was supposed to walk home alone and meet her at this Jewish bookshop and um and this was it only took one day. This was the fateful day that he got lost and he met Levi Aaron and um and Aaron has a whole history that I'll tell you about, but he um you know, essentially Levy was walking into his trap. Um this was a man who had now it's come out that he had um other he had attempted at least, if not actually uh, succeeded in molesting other children. There are parents coming forward and cases coming forward where people are saying that he tried to get their child into his car as well. So poor Liby didn't know who he was asking for directions, and he walked right into the trap, you know, if you could imagine. Uh, how Aaron felt that usually he has to go stalk his prey, and now this little kid is coming up to him trusting, because in that neighborhood, you know, the people were able to trust each other, and of course, 99.9% of the people were trustworthy. And unfortunately, Libby happened to walk into the hands of one, the one who wasn't. and But but I was getting back to being politically incorrect. Um, I, I'm only saying this because, because I, I'm, uh, if you, if there are any parents listening out there, I'm, trying, I'm assuming there are some par- some of you who are listening are parents, um, you really have to be uh, in our crazy world that I was starting to talk about at the beginning, you know, about how uh, the stresses of the world are making people do things that they wouldn't ordinarily do, whether it's uh, treat their friends uh, in a shabby way, cheating them in, in business deals, you know, because of money or whether it's becoming violent or whatever it is. Um, And so so um, you really cannot let your child, as sad as it is, you can't assume that any neighborhood is going to be so safe that you can send an 8-year-old child or less, or maybe even a 10-year-old child. I mean, you know, you have to sort of decide upon the psychological development of your own child as far as deciding when but you know in in any psychological development 8 year old 8 years old is too young so is 10 um, in my opinion and and maybe 11 or 12 because because it's it you can't just say that a particular neighborhood is safe and so you can let a child of any age just walk alone um because there are people who come into safe neighborhoods who don't belong there, let's say delivery people or or someone driving around looking for a child to exploit or to kidnap. So you really just have to be, and yes, it's very sad. When I was growing up, we could just, you know, we would play outside after school, and nobody was worrying about being uh, kidnapped or or, you know, I mean, I grew up in New York, and I guess maybe... Uh, well, New York isn't isn't what it was, and and um, I mean, no neighborhood is what it was. And so, parents, you know, yes, it may be inconvenient um, to to walk your child home from camp or to be, you know, spend more time with your child or whatever. But I'm sure that Libby's parents are are beyond distraught. And and angry at themselves that they did uh, let him walk home from camp. Seven blocks in New York um, is really, you know, is is really a lot in 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 Brooklyn. Is really a lot, even if it is a safe neighborhood. Um, anyhow, uh, Aaron was um, he most li- interestingly he had uh, a brain injury from a childhood car accident. And um, it seems as though he may well have then subsequently developed, not due to the car accident, but um, schizophrenia, because in fact, some people, our neighbors or friends of the family are saying that his mother um, was strange psychologically and his sister was on medication uh, and she died. She, I think she either, she accidentally overdosed or I don't remember what the details of that was, but were, but... Um, so, you know, it, there does seem to be a family dis- predisposition to some kind of mental illness, and his actions um, do seem, n- not that not that all schizophrenics, certainly <laughs> not all schizophrenics are violent or are butchers or anything else, but um, schizophrenics do have trouble interacting with people, forming uh, healthy relationships because um that's part of their illness and so you know they become loners and so part of um Aaron's life I mean he wound, he did get married at one time through a match um, an internet website he married a woman in Tennessee and um they but they got divorced after a year you know he couldn't really maintain relationships and then he was with another woman after that briefly and um he obviously, you know, had problems, psychological problems that interfered with his developing real satisfying relationships. And it was easier for him to um, try to have relationships, I use the word loosely, with children who wouldn't be as demanding, you know, as uh, wouldn't have the same expectations of a sophisticated or more sophisticated adult kind of relationship. And... um, I think he was lonely you know i i of course there's they've said that he didn't um sexually abuse the child. I don't know if that if they've found evidence of that since then, but certainly there are some sex acts like oral sex where you wouldn't necessarily if the child performed oral sex on him where you wouldn't necessarily find um evidence of uh sexual abuse so so it's just um a really, really sad story um, he was taken to bellevue for a forensic evaluation this is that's where i trained that's the most including on the forensic unit at NYU bellevue um, that is the best place in the world really in my opinion most uh, uh erudite or most um, you know all the very a lot of high profile and difficult cases go there um, I, I interacted. With it. There's a prison on the unit. Uh, part of the floor, in other words, is, is an actual prison for for people who have mental illness and are uh, awaiting trial or or have various, you know, need to be psychiatrically evaluated or treated. So, of course, the first thing that has to happen is to see whether um, Levi Aaron is um, going to be considered. Able to stand trial, competent to stand trial. And, you know, whether he can aid in his own defense, whether he understands the charges brought against him, whether he understands who the people are in the courtroom, what the, the purpose of the judge is and his lawyer and so on. And, um, you know, it, it, it's, he already wrote a confession. He already confessed and, and wrote a confession. And now, of course, he, then he got a, uh, a um a lawyer who got him to plead not guilty despite the confession which theoretically could be thrown out because he didn't have well i don't know uh, and of course the lawyer will try to get it thrown out let's put it that way but um but at some point whether he, if he isn't even if he isn't found competent to stand trial now he will be treated and made to be competent you know given antipsychotic medication and um and made to be uh competent you know um rehabilitated or given treatment so that he becomes competent and then the question is um whether he could be not guilty by reason of insanity, and I think that will be very hard to prove because his confession was very logical uh he wrote it down, you know you can see that he knew what he did um and knew what he did was wrong i mean that's that's those are the criteria um and at the time that he did it he knew it was wrong and he has said that he um the only reason why he killed him was because he panicked because he saw signs in the neighborhood about uh about the, the little boy being missing and so then he realized that he couldn't keep him as a companion and that he would have to uh get rid of him and of course you know the way he chose to get rid of him I mean he could have just he could have just let him go uh, of course the then again That could just be his story, and he could have already killed him by the time that he saw these missing posters. So it's really sad. The saddest part of this whole story, besides the fact that this uh, sweet little 8-year-old boy, innocent little boy, is dead and dismembered um, uh, beyond beyond that, and his parents have to live in, in, in in a psychological hell for the rest of their lives because of what happened, but what's, what's also sad is that um, if Levi Aaron's family had made sure that he had gotten the psychiatric treatment that he needed, I mean, it couldn't have been a surprise. There was the mother who had problems, the sister who had problems. <laughs> they should have been uh, aware of the fact that he had problems. And um, if they would have insisted upon him getting ongoing treatment and the proper medication... Um, this kind of thing wouldn't have happened. I mean, for all I know, he might have had some kind of treatment, but the problem is these days that people aren't um, seeing a psychiatrist every week. At best, they're getting once a month, mid-visits, 15 minutes, and I don't know that he even got that or at the time that he got that. It seems unlikely but possible, but the problem is when people have severe psychiatric problems, Whether it's schizophrenia or major depression or whatever it is, um, they need more intensive treatment. And these days, with insurance companies being the way they are, um, it's people are not getting the kind of treatment that they need. They're they're, not—they're thinking that that 15 minutes once a month is enough. And I can tell you, is one of my—well, I'll tell you when we come back. Um, You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm putting the news on on the couch. And I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman.
3: Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now. 1-866-472-5787. And ask our all-star team to answer your questions. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com.
2: On the couch today, um, I've been talking about it, what's inside the mind of the butcher of Brooklyn, Levi Aaron, who kidnapped and killed Libby Kletsky. Um, and um, I, I wanted—I was talking about uh, medication and so on. In his his ex-wife, the one that he um, uh, that was in Tennessee, Debbie Kivel, uh, said that she was shocked to hear about the allegations against him. But then, of course, you know that was those were the first reports. How could she? Because she had children from a previous relationship, and she did not see any um, any of this kind of behavior on the part of Aaron towards her children. Of course, did not see is perhaps uh, the operative word. But in any case, um, she uh, at first she was saying how shocked she was. And then the media, of course, dug deeper, and it turned out that in 2006, uh, just after they'd separated, she filed a protective order. She filed for a protective order against him. And um, in this protective order, it was mentioned that, uh, for example, as examples of why she needed one, that um, there were times when um, Levi didn't want to take no for an answer when she refused to have sex with him. So um, he would, for example, uh, call her desperately countless times. He one time, at least one time, he tried to undress her when she was sleeping, even though she had said no, she didn't want to have sex with him. He hit her. And he even said that he would commit suicide if she wouldn't have sex with him. So, you know, this is a man, this goes back to uh, someone who um, doesn't know how to interact in a socially acceptable manner, and just like everybody else, needs love and sex. But unfortunately, in this case, um, his impulse control, he had poor impulse control, and really um, went to extremes to try to convince her to have sex with him, which is undoubtedly why, um, you know, she, she separated from him, um, at least part of the reason. He al- she also wrote in the protective order, uh, Aaron has been diagnosed with a behavior disorder and takes medication for the condition. So we know that it. she doesn't say what kind of behavior disorder, but, um, you know, it's, it's likely that Aaron may have stopped taking his medication, Um, certainly it is very unlikely that he was in psychotherapy at the time. I mean, that's part of the problem. People, you know, going back to one of my pet peeves um, of people, even if they do get medication once a month, which doesn't cure anything, um, if you need medication, you need psychotherapy. To get to the root of the problem, I, I, I was starting to say before the break that one of my hats is, um, many of you know, is as a as an expert witness, and um, in recent years, you know, in the last five or ten years, I have been getting more and more cases of malpractice and wrongful deaths. Um, people who, for example, a case where a recurrent case where a woman um, committed suicide because. Her psychiatrist failed to recognize that um, she was suicidal because he was only seeing her once every three or four weeks and even though she had just gotten out of the hospital uh, because of her of a suicide attempt, he somehow didn 't seem to think that uh, she needed she needed therapy weekly therapy um, and and even weekly medication monitoring and um, that kind of goes to this whole issue of. Of antidepressants, where some antidepressants have been um, now have a black label on uh, on their instructions, you know, meaning that um, they they have been found to to well, particularly in teenagers or young adults, um, there have been some cases of suicide associated with taking the antidepressant. Well, it's not the antidepressant that's the problem. I mean, this isn't anything new. When people when when I was a psychiatric resident at Bellevue, as I was saying, chief resident, I might throw in um, when I was a resident, we knew that uh, that that the medic even the antidepressants that that we had at that time um, could theoretically uh, cause people to become energized enough so that they would take steps to commit suicide. In other words, if someone is so depressed that they are can't move, you know, that they stay in bed, that they can't formulate a plan, that they, they don't have the energy to actually think of and carry out a suicidal plan, and then you give them antidepressants, there's a, there's a very delicate period during which um, the person is more energized, and so they could theoretically then go forward with plans to commit suicide. But if you are seeing these people every week, for psychotherapy, not just giving them antidepressants, you you recognize that, and you um, can either modify the dose of the antidepressant, or you add another kind of medication to it, or you uh, put them in the hospital if if you think they're having suicidal ideas, uh, suicidal thoughts, and I mean there are things that you you can stay on top of it. This has only become a problem in more recent years when. When people aren't seeing their patients for psychotherapy and not seeing them every week, so when three or four weeks go by and you don't know what is happening to that person, and um, I, you know, there's no way that um, that I practice that kind of psychiatry. People who see me see me every week, uh, or they don't see me. When people call and they say they want to come for a medication visits once a month, I tell them to go somewhere else because that is just bad medicine in my, um, that's how I've been trained and I certainly still agree with it in terms of practice, especially with all these cases against psychiatrists and against family practitioners and so on, against doctors um, who are not doing this and whose patients die or in this case uh, kill somebody. Um, I don't know that, I still don't think that uh, Levi Aaron is was likely to have been seeing a psychiatrist currently, but I guess we're going to be, I mean, you know, at the time that he did this, but I guess we're going to be finding all of that out as the case unfolds. Um, there are, <laughs> you know, it, I was making a joke about being, um, being graphic and being, uh, talking about butchers and women trashing penises and so on, um, <laughs> and the other case in the news that's, that's riveting everybody is Casey Anthony. Um which is gory, I guess, in its own way uh you know there's the whole nation is so up in arms about uh her being being uh not convicted, her being found not guilty, and um of course, now she's hiding somewhere it's like where's waldo where's Casey anthony somebody's gonna find her and and uh you know. Report where she is, and tell the media where she is i mean i 'm just waiting for that to happen, and obviously, Casey Anthony is someone who needs uh, more than once a week therapy um, you know she could do with daily intensive therapy uh, for many reasons, but there was an article today that came out about um, having some therapists say that she could never be cured of her of her pathological lying. Um, you know, that she, that she, she, and all her other problems. She could never be cured of that. She's always going to be like that. Well, <laughs> you know, I think any therapist who says that someone can't be cured of whatever um, should hang up their shingle. Yes, there are certain kinds of problems that are much more difficult to cure, to treat than others. I mean, pedophiles, of course, is, is one of the best examples. It's very difficult. To treat or to cure a pedophile, not impossible, um, and certainly, you know, certainly one has to be careful about letting people out uh, under those circumstances. It takes years and years of intensive therapy, and and the problem is that most of these people don't get the kind of intensive therapy that they would need um, in the while they're in jail, but but um, or incarcerated in psychiatric hospitals. That's a little better, of course, but you know it, it it does take a lot of work, and it's very hard to be sure that someone a pedophile is not going to um, uh, again repeat his actions so but Casey Anthony is not a pedophile and um and I think she does have a good chance of getting if that if she were to get intensive treatment, she does have a good chance of um getting herself together of of you know of of getting um of understanding of getting insights into what happened in her life and why she did what she did whatever that may be whether it's an accident or she did kill her daughter or she knows what happened um you know whatever it is she has and and going through the trial and going through the fact that the that most of the world hates her and and all of that um I mean you know she does have severe psychological problems including um having been sexually abused by her father I don't think that there is a question that he did sexually abuse her I mean you know regardless of what he said um so you know and that's where it all started all of her problems started so um so I think once she would go through and it does take a long time. It does take a lot of intensive therapy, remembering her childhood, talking about what happened, crying about what happened, screaming about what happened. Um of course, now with the added issues of what happened at the trial, her parents throwing her under the bus, I mean she has a lot of things to to talk about in therapy and to work on. Absolutely. It's not going to be she's not going to be cured in a few months, but um but these are problems that can be worked on and that can at least uh, restore her to having a better life. In any case, she'll never have a so-called normal life, but certainly she could have a better life than what she has been having, which wasn't really very happy even before the death of her daughter. Well, we need to take another break. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Talk, talk, talk.
1: Check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times, www.drcarol.com.
2: Step into the doorway
3: to conscious choice, greater health, and well-being. Attain the balance that you've been seeking. Tune in and turn on 1111 Talk Radio.
2: Listen to the Stars of PR with Cindy R. every Thursday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time here on News Talk Radio, VoiceAmerica.com.
3: The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk
4: station, VoiceAmerica.com. Welcome back to Dr. Carroll's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472. 5788 now back to the show here's dr carol lieberman
2: and welcome back to dr carol's couch i'm your psychiatrist host dr carol lieberman putting the news the gory news that is on the couch trying to get inside of the minds of people who commit these heinous crimes or at least are accused of them in the case of casey anthony um i was talking about her and about how um in my opinion she was sexually abused by her father um and i i uh, I think in a previous show, I went into all the reasons why I thought that um, mainly because of body language of her and her father on the stand. Her father was so clearly lying not only about that but about so many other things, and I think that was a big part of what the jury saw and why they uh, did find her not guilty because they realized you know they didn 't know who else was involved in in um, the the death or you know what happened between the father and the mother and the meter reader being obvious liars um, I think they there wasn't enough evidence to convict her but in any case um, it is true that when little girls are sexually abused by their fathers um, they uh, um, become they well they either become promiscuous they go one, to one extreme or the other they either become promiscuous or they become frigid and in casey anthony 's case, um, she you know became promiscuous. We saw all those pictures dancing and 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 wet top contests and various things being with all different boyfriends and so on. The reason why um, girls who are sexually abused become promiscuous is because they they I, what they do what 's called identifying with the aggressor, in other words, they identify with the man who sexually abused them, um, and they, because he's the one who had power. When they were a little girl, you know, they were at the mercy of this abuser. And so they identify with him, and they then use sex when they grow up as a weapon um, against men, you know, as a way to exploit men. And so um, uh, Casey would fit under the sex siren category of, um, in my bad girl's book, that type of bad girl. And so I, I describe a sex siren. Uh, what does a sex siren want? A sex siren wants to be put on a pedestal where she can be idolized and worshipped for her sexual powers and can use sex as a weapon to turn men into little lapdogs who do her bidding. And uh, Marilyn Monroe is the most powerful sex siren of all. She never knew her father. She was discarded by her mentally unstable mother. She grew up in a succession of foster homes and other hastily assembled living arrangements. And it is reported that she was sexually abused on at least one occasion. And there's been more, I mean, it's been sort of confirmed on at least one occasion, and there's been more such abuse that's been reported. So, um, you know, they, this becomes a survival strategy uh, when they're a little girl, the way to, to survive. And another sort of survival strategy that they use is. Um, that they they um dissociate when the little girl is being abused she her mind takes her to another place so for example they describe seeing themselves from the ceiling looking down on a little girl being abused they separate themselves from that little girl and so everybody wanted to you know didn't understand how is it that Casey could um, after her little girl died, however she died, if her father killed her, if she fell in the swimming pool, if she, um, you know, was left in a too-hot car, whatever happened, how could Casey have just been partying for a month? And the answer is, and it's interesting that the, um you know, the lawyer didn't bring this out, um, probably because he didn't have a psychiatric expert witness, <laughs> but I guess he did fine without one otherwise. <laughs> Um, that, uh, that um, the, she was able to use this survival strategy of dissociation um, as a way of dissociating from reality. I mean, that's what they do as little girls. They dissociate from the reality of the fact that they are currently being sexually abused or that they have just been sexually abused. And she was able to use that same psychological defense mechanism of dissociation um, in order to dissociate from the bad reality that her baby was dead. So it does all make perfect sense um, that, you know, to explain her behavior. And it all can be um, treated. I've treated countless women who have been sexually abused, men who have been sexually abused, you know, especially men who have been abused by priests, for example, um I often wish when I'm sitting with these adults who are, I mean, I've treated children who have been abused as well, but as adults um, who, when they talk about their abuse, um, they burst out into tears, of course, and they're so scarred. And I often wish that people, that adults, could see the damage that they inflicted on, you know, often parents, whether it's parents or priests or whatever, the people who are the abusers, that if they could see um, the damage that these, that these children and then adults are still suffering, um, you know, I don't know that that would be able to, to cure. I mean, obviously it's a, it's, a, it's a psychological illness, a problem that they have um, that makes them do this, so I'm not saying that that would, if they saw that, it would cure them. But, but I guess I just wish that people would realize that the society as a whole would realize just how devastating and how long lasting not only sexual abuse but all kinds of traumas of childhood are. Um, that it it does leave scars on on people, and even when they grow up, they there are still these traumatic moments. Not just abuse, but divorce, for example, is another one um, that that really does leave uh serious scars on on children and uh, that do need to be treated in psychotherapy and not just to have various combinations of medication thrown at them so um, so if that was happening, <laughs> we wouldn't be having all of these stories to talk about, these gory stories of, of people whose, whose behavior could well have been stopped. You know, look at this, the, uh, the Catherine Q. Becker, the woman who trashed her husband's penis, the butcher of Brooklyn, Casey Anthony, if, if all of these people, each of these people had gotten help earlier on, they wouldn't have ever caused um, the crimes, the heinous crimes that they ultimately caused. And it's just really sad. I mean, we, we need to be more we need to be more aware of people around us, friends, family, loved ones, um, who need some help and they need to be encouraged to get it. I mean obviously not everyone's gonna become a butcher, but you know, they could they'll be living lives that are gonna be a lot less happy than if they got help for their problem for their problems. I just wanna say again, go to my website and opt in uh, and I will send you a free test, a bad girl's test, or a sitting duck test. Go to badgirlsbook.com and um, go to the, click on it and go to the second page, the opt-in page, and, and I will be happy to send you complimentary tests. And you can see uh, you can see <laughs> whether you're, uh, just, just how you fare on those tests. Well, thank you all for listening. You've been listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host dr carol lieberman
1: thank you for joining us on dr carol's couch join us next week at 1 p.m pacific time for another installment of dr carol's couch we'll save you a seat